If you have a Bible this morning, uh, turn with me to the book of Hebrews, and let's go to chapter 12. We want to pick up our study in verse 18, and then take it to the conclusion. But notice the teaching of our, uh, of our study this morning. Come to Mount Zion. And so as I mentioned in my prayer, we're going to begin here. And the writer of Hebrews brings us back uh, to that place at Mount Sinai. This is where Moses went up into the mountain, and he receives the laws from God, the Ten Commandments. And we're going to see the fear that it, it set in Moses' heart as he went up into the mountain. As the mountain uh, quaked, as there were sounds and thunders and claps that just uh, devastated Moses. Moses was afraid. But then the children of Israel are at the bottom of the hill. They're told they can't even touch the mountain. And this fire that illuminated the mountain, it speaks of the Shekinah glory of God. And now we know that in Mount Zion, in Jerusalem, is where the temple was built, where the place of worship for the Jews. But we're also going to speak about Mount Zion in the heavenly place. And so he covers a variety of subjects here. But here's a good question for us in our topic. Come to Mount Zion, the place where the living God presides right now. We don't have to go to Mount you know, Sinai. We don't have to go to Jerusalem. But we come directly to the throne of grace, and we're going to see the mediator again is Christ. And so let's begin here. we got a lot to cover in verse 18, Hebrews chapter 12. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and burned with fire and blackness and darkness and, uh, and tempest. So he speaks of the awesomeness of this mountain. The Christian has not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, a place of darkness, gloom, whirlwinds, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. When God gave Israel his laws, he gave the Ten Commandments there uh, to Moses. It was the place of trembling, the place of fire, the place of the Shekinah glory of God just showing forth. Imagine the sounds. The word Sinai in, in the Greek, it means the thorn bush, the place that Moses received of the laws of God. Now, I want you to see this. In the book of Exodus, in chapter 12, they prepare the Passover. And then finally, the great Exodus, after 400 years of bondage. Now, what's interesting, I want you to think about this. Uh, those that understand the, the maps and the geography, everything that's about the Middle East, they can easily come to this conclusion. When they left Egypt, they were going to the promised land, to the land of milk and honey. Geographically, it was an 11-day journey. And they spent 40 years in the wilderness. Because of the hardness of their hearts, they were a stiff-necked generation. They were a nation of rebellion. In fact, Moses and that first generation did not enter the promised land. Imagine, after spending 430 years crying out, you know, to God, the taskmasters are hard. Lord, send us a deliverer. Moses comes. They leave Egypt. 11 days, but it takes 40. Now, we come to Exodus chapter 19 and 20. The scholars believe there's about a three to four month span here. And now Moses comes up to the Mount of Sinai. And he receives the laws of God. Now, it's interesting that uh, the children of Israel were at the bottom. They were quaking too and, and just miserable over this. We're going to see that in just a minute. But the Old Testament saints relied upon the law. The law was very important. Now, Jesus was accused of destroying the law. But he said, I come to fulfill the law. I want you to turn to the Gospel of John in chapter 4. This is a beautiful teaching here. It's concerning the Samaritan woman. Jesus told the Samaritan woman, you worship on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, 
And the Jews worship at Jerusalem. But Jesus shares with her, it's a spiritual position of worship. And it comes from the heart. Look at John chapter 4. Look at verse 22 now. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship. For salvation is to the Jew first. It is so true that salvation is for the Jew first. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul brings this forth also. Now, what's interesting, does that mean that only salvation is for the Jews? But what about the Gentiles? In Romans chapter 11, it tells us that we, the Gentiles, are the grafted in branch. But yet, we don't have to go to Mount Sinai anymore. We don't have to go to Jerusalem. We don't have to go to the temple. But we have access now to the throne of grace because of Jesus Christ. Now, this mountain, it, the Shekinah glory is there. And Moses is fearful. Let's continue. Look at verse 19 now. Go back to our text. And the sound of trumpet, of a trumpet, and the voice of, of words, so that those who heard, they begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. The word to beg there, they pleaded. They didn't want to hear that sound anymore. At Mount Sinai, they heard the trumpet sound as of voices. So terrible was this uh, to the people. They begged Moses. They cried out. They pleaded. Stop the voices. Now, I want you to imagine the visual burning uh, from Mount Sinai. And now the trumpet sounds as of voices. The Israelites down below uh, at the bottom of the base of the mountain were just freaking out. I mean, they were frustrated. Fear sets in because of the power of God. Now, listen to this. When your hearts are not right with God, fear sets in. Fear sets in. Now, the children of Israel had left Egypt. Egypt always represents a type of the world. But their hearts were not right with God. And the sounds, just the, the eeriness, the thunderclaps. I mean, it must have just been uh, amazing what they were hearing and seeing. The fear that sets in. What about Moses? I mean, it continues. Look at verse 20. For they could not endure what was commanded, the laws. And if so, much as a, a beast were to touch the mountain, it should be stoned to death or shot with an arrow. Now, I want you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. I want to pick up the picture here and clarify what Moses uh, is going through and what the writer of Hebrews is bringing forth. Now, in verse 20, Israel is staggering at this point concerning God's commandments. They haven't even received the laws yet. But if even an animal touches the mountain, it was to be killed. And you're going to see even a human. And so the Shekinah glory of God was there. The power of God was there. And you were not even to touch it. Remember Moses back in Exodus chapter 3 when he goes up to the burning bush and there God speaks to him. And eventually God says, Moses, take off your shoes because where you're at is holy ground, that is. Now, the respect, the respect. But look at Exodus chapter 20. Now, look at verse 18. Not only is Moses going to be fearful, but the people are fearful of God's presence. They're at Mount Sinai. Now, they were already up there. Uh, Moses was there, uh, Exodus 19, but look at verse, uh, Exodus 20, look at verse 18. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountains smoking. And what the people saw, they trembled, and they stood afar off. Verse 19, then they said to Moses, you speak with us, and we will hear. But let us not, let not, let not God speak to us, lest we die. Again, their hearts were not right with God. Many of them. Oh, they came out of Egypt, but they hadn't left uh, the presence of Egypt as far as the sin nature. Look at verse 20. And Moses said to the people, do not fear. He says, for God has come to test you, to try you. And that his, uh, it says, his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. Do we have the fear of the Lord that it stops us from sinning? Do we have the reverence of God, his word, that it stops me in my tracks from sinning? This was the children of Israel. Look at verse 20. So the people stood afar off 
But Moses drew near uh, the thick darkness where God was. Moses found himself in the presence of God, fear, trembling, the fear of God. Again, earlier he was told, take off your shoes because where you stand is holy ground. And now even the animals or a human that would touch this holy mountain would be destroyed. Do we have that reverence today concerning God? Oh, we're under grace, Pastor Bob. Uh, you know, the New Testament now. Everything has changed. In a sense, yes. But where's the reverence of God? Look at verse 21. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. Not just the people, church, but Moses, the leader of God, the respect of God. Moses was frightened at the flaming mountain of God, the spoken words of God from Mount Sinai, that he said, I'm terrified, I'm trembling. Listen to what the Hebrew is telling us. Moses had fear that was inward and outward, the Hebrews suggesting. He was fearful with fear. I mean, it wasn't just an outward thing. It was inward. And he was fearful. He was shaking in his sandals, basically. Moses, before God, on holy ground now again. Be careful. When we look at God Almighty... And we lose respect of that. We hear God's name taken in vain so easily today. But from time to time, I will run into people. You will run into people. You'll even see it in a movie or a program. And it should not be. I detest when, you know, when the reference of God will be made. And they speak of God as the man upstairs. They, st they speak of God as the big guy. I've heard this one. They speak of God as the kingpin. In the Hispanic culture, they say they speak of God as the jefe. He's the man in charge. He's, he's the, the leader. He's the dad. And where's the reverence of God? Where's the respect and the holiness of God? In the Old Testament, the word for God could not even be pronounced. It was, these are the consonants. It was Y-H-W-H. You can't pronounce it. And the best translation they came up for the word God was Yahweh. I don't know if you've ever seen a Jewish uh, person write something. And then they come to the word God. And they will leave out the O purposely. And they will put a slash mark underneath it. The respect again. For the name of God. And we see various names of God in the Old Testament. And we speak of him as Jehovah God. God Almighty. We see the name Adonai. That's probably more respectful. When they would write, the scribes would copy of the law. They would come to the name of God. Listen to the respect here. They would come to the name of God. They would take all their clothes off and bathe and then put on new garments and then write the name of God. And as they copied the rest of the, you know, the book and they come again. And sometimes in one chapter, how many times is the name of God? They would do the same sequence. Take off the clothes and wash themselves, bathe themselves and then put on new garments. The respect. And today we don't see that respect. Mark this down in Exodus 19, 16. The noise factor of trumpet sounds as voices caused the people to quake. I could just see the knees kind of banging together. The respect now, such a respect. The people were warned. Not only were the people warned, but listen, Moses, he quaked in hearing the Ten Commandments that came from God. As God spoke the words, and then the scriptures tell us that he wrote on the tablets with his finger. And I want you to see this respect. Uh, write this down, but I want you to listen to it. In the Mount of Transfiguration, I'm going to take it. Usually we go to Matthew 17, but this one is in Mark chapter 9, verses 5 and 6. You know the story. Jesus 
takes Peter, James, and John up to the Mount of Transfiguration. And there, they are going to see, they're going to witness the future. They're going to see Jesus, Moses, and Elijah in their glorified bodies. But I never noticed this before in Matthew 17, but in Mark chapter 9, it's obvious that Moses, uh, not Moses, but Peter at this time now, is also fearful. In Mark chapter 9, look at verse 5. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now Peter meant well, but that was not the purpose. Let us make an altar for the three of you. That's basically what Peter's saying. But in verse 6, here's the trembling of Peter. Because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. Not just Peter, but Peter, James, and John. I mean, what they were witnessing, what they were seeing, they were seeing Jesus in his glorified body. Elijah and Moses in their glorified body. They're saying, this is going to take place in your body one day. And the Bible says that one day we will put on a new body. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Now, I want you to see this. For they were greatly afraid. We shared uh, what took place when they saw the mountain. Uh, Moses was fearful inside and outside. It devastated him. Well, here's Peter. They were greatly afraid. In the Greek, they were scared out of their wits. Now, how do we act when we come to worship the Lord? How do we act when we come to the time of prayer? How do we act when we read God's word? Worship is very important uh, to me. I hope worship is very important to you. But we get caught up into things. It's easy to be, you know, already reading the bulletin while worship's going on. It should not be. Worship is not the time for you to be reading the Word of God. Worship is for you to be worshiping God. Prayer is the time to pray. It's usually reverent when Pastor Jeff will come up. Let's pray before we read the bulletin and everybody bows their head. Reverence of God. Searching the meanings that you want to say from your heart. I detest somebody that reads a prayer, and yet I understand sometimes the fear. Well, what am I going to say? And just speak from your heart. I've been to too many public meetings, and I see uh, the, the pastor or whoever is in charge, and then they're going to read a prayer. That's good, and the prayer is beautiful, but it's not your prayer. It did not come from the heart. And so it's important to see this. Now, it's not finished. Look at verse 22 now. But you have come to Mount Zion. It's no longer, they have the law now. Now you come to Mount Zion, which is Jerusalem. But I like what he calls your Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. So this is the heavenly scene, looking futuristic. You, the true church believer in Jesus Christ, have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God because Jesus died, was buried, and the resurrection of Christ. And he's ascended now into heaven. Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, and yet so many angels that were there joyful in the assembly. But now Mount Zion, the spiritual church, the first foundation was laid literally at Zion. But Jesus has made this spiritual Jerusalem now, this spiritual Zion. Jesus has completed all this. Oh, I love going to Israel when I get an opportunity to go, and we will go to Jerusalem, and you will go before the Wailing Wall, but that's not what it's about. It's about Christ. You see, there is no temple, and we can't go and wait for the high priest to come out from the Holy of Holies. Jesus has completed this now. I want you to see the prophecy here now. Uh, mark this down. And then turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 12. And John chapter 12 is the prophecy fulfilled of Zechariah 9.9. 9. 
Now, we know that this is traditionally Palm Sunday. It's Holy Week. Jesus is going to come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. They lay a blanket over uh, the, the little donkey. They take off their coats and, and they place it on the road, on the pathway uh, to Jerusalem. And then they take palm branches and they lay them before uh, Jesus as he's coming in riding on a colt. All this is in reference to this is the Messiah. Remember the shouts that they brought forth? And they were going, Hosanna, Hosanna, son of David, save now. This same group of people, one week later, they cried out, crucify him. Crucify him. Give us Barabbas, but crucify him. How fickle man is. One week later. Now look at John chapter 12, verse 14. The triumphal entry of Jesus Christ, or we better know it as Palm Sunday. In, in verse 14, then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it. And then as it is written, this is Zechariah 9, 9. He says, as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Fear not, Israel. Time is coming that Messiah will build his church. And this was a triumphal entry. It's not about Mount Sinai. It's not about Mount Zion. But it's about Christ who allows us into the spiritual Mount Zion. Into the holy of holies in heaven. We have access to this church. This is also recorded in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. The same passage of John chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. The restored, listen, literal Jerusalem, Mount Zion. I want you to write this down. Revelation chapter 21. This is some good homework for you. Verses 2 through 27. The new Jerusalem is coming down from God out of heaven. And so we saw the law at Mount Sinai, Exodus 19 and 20. We see the New Testament, Mount Zion, Zechariah 9, John 12, 14 and 15. The future to come, Revelation chapter 21. Beautiful. I want you to flip back real quick. Hebrews 11, verse 10. Listen to what Abraham said. Now, this blows one's mind. How did Abraham know? But by the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. Abraham waited, and I'm paraphrasing this, the city which has foundation. The builder and the maker is God. And so here's the Holy Spirit showing Abraham the true Mount Zion, that it would come to pass. Now, we understand now Abraham knows this. But imagine in the Old Testament, they had to live by faith. In fact, the Bible says that even the prophets, as they wrote, they didn't understand. But they wrote by faith, believing and trusting by God by faith. Now, we just finished Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter, and we saw all the heroes of faith. How did they believe? Now, we see the, you know, the scriptures. We see the historical writings. We know that it happened. But as it was being put together, they had to believe God by faith. And that's what Jesus tells us, church. That we need to have faith like a mustard seed. So Jerusalem would be built by Messiah at the cross. That's Mount Zion. That's the completion. And then one day... Uh, <laughs> The new Jerusalem will return. The new Mount Zion. Now look at verse 23. Let's continue. To the general assembly and church now of the first fruits or the firstborn who are registered in heaven to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. That's us. He's speaking about the firstborn. Those that have come to saving grace. Now, in the New Testament, for the last 2,000 years, he's speaking about the New Testament church now, of God's firstborn children. Listen, those that are born again of the Holy Spirit, whose names, now pay attention to this, are written in heaven. 
You know, you can tell everybody and anybody, I go to Calvary Chapel, and I, be, I, I am a member of Calvary Chapel, and I will tell them, praise God. And if they call, is such and such, you know, part of your church? Yes. But that will not get you into heaven. How many people have their names written in a ledger? How many times in the last 25 years of ministry here, when somebody comes new to our church and they're coming out of a denominational structured church, and I'm not against that, but most of them have, you know, you have to sign up. You have to belong to them. You have to belong to the ledger there. And so you have this. It's so important to some people. And they come in with their letter of intent. And it's hard for me because, they, Pastor, we just came out of such and such church. And we want to be a member of your church. Well, you know, I just tell them, uh, you know, it's hard to understand. I know. But we don't have membership. But I want you to know this. I hope and pray that your name is written in the book of life. Now, I want you to write this down. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, and there's other passages. It speaks about our names in the Lamb's book of life. You have come to God himself who is the judge of all people. That's what he's saying in verse 23. You have come to the spirits of the redeemed in heaven, the redeemed on earth, who have now been made perfect, complete in Christ, because our names are written in heaven. We're born again of the Holy Spirit. We have rights now, citizenship in heaven. We have citizenship even now here on earth. Pastor, can I join Calvary Chapel? Yeah, you can join Calvary Chapel. But I'd rather know and tell me that you're assured your name is written in the book of life. You see, there's a beautiful story. I want you to go to it and study it when you get home tonight. We've talked about it many times. In John chapter 3, the gospel, there's a name, a man by the name of Nicodemus. The Bible says he's a ruler of the Jews. And it's interesting that he comes to Jesus by night that showed me that he was fearful of his peers and he asked Jesus what must a man do to enter the kingdom of God Jesus slightly rebukes him Nicodemus you're a religious leader you're a ruler of the Jews you should know these things Nick and he finally says you must be born again in John chapter 3 verse 3 and John chapter 3 verse 7 you must be born again now, I emphasize that because it drove me up a tree for a long time. When my friend witnessed to me, he would come up and say, Bob, are you born again of the Holy Spirit? And, I, you know, I didn't have the answer. I wanted to say that. But my best response, remember this? I'd say, Steve, I'm baptized. He says, well, how old were you? I was a kid. How old were you? I was, I was an infant. Do you remember your water baptism? Um, no. But my mom has pictures. And my little shoes that I wore, they're bronze now. My mom still has them. Yeah, but is your name written in the book of life? Are you born again of the Holy Spirit? And then I remember one day when he said, so when you, when you were water baptized as an infant, oh, yeah, yeah. And then he says, uh, did your family have a party? Well, I'm Hispanic. Come on. They have to have a party for anything. I says, yes, they had a party. Did they drink? Oh, no. Yes, they did. But I didn't drink. <laughs> you were an infant. But you see the logic behind it? Now, I believe in water baptism. We teach on water baptism. But we want you to first come to saving grace. Water baptism is an outward work. A born-again experience is an inward work. I hope and pray that our names are written in the book of life. On the day of judgment, the Bible says the books, plural. There are several books. But the book you should be concerned of is the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. Now, most of you have somebody else, you don't even know them sometimes, and they have the same name as you. I like to do that. I go into the phone books and I look up Robert Ortega. and never fails. There's always another one. Well, several years back, there was a farmer here in the Mesilla Valley, and he heard about our church, a Christian man, him and his wife, and they came to the service. 
And after the service, he made it a, a point to meet me. And he says, hi, my name is Robert Ortega. I took a quick look. And I says, hi, how you doing? He says, we have the same name. I says, obviously. He says, this is my wife, Mary Ortega. I go, now, wait a minute. <laughs> this is true. It was a husband and wife farmers, and they just, they wanted to come. They got a big laugh out of it. So did I. And so I remember praying. I said, Lord, make sure my name is there because there's another group over there. You know, <laughs> is your name written in the book of life? You know, God, he, he knows. He's going to know it's your name. It's obvious. There, you'll probably find several people with the same name. But is your name personalize it? Is it written in the book of life? Now, we must go through the cross. Now, I want you to take this passage. Let's go to it. Go to Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. God the Father, listen to this, has highly exalted His Son, Jesus Christ. And so the importance of us going through the cross, we've emphasized that many times over. And you see, people like to pray to God. People like to acknowledge God. But what God are you talking about? And see, there's a lot of gods that lead to a lot of different roads. But the God that we serve, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, He leads to one road. And this is the heavenly place with God the Father. But here in Philippians 2, chapter 2, look at verse 9. Therefore, God also has highly exalted Him, speaking of Jesus Christ, and given Him the name which is above every name. Not the name of Buddha, not the name of Muhammad, not the name of Gandhi. Not the name of Joseph Smith, not the name of Russell, but the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. In verse 10, and that at the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, and those under the earth. So those that are in heaven, those that are on earth, those that are in hell, will acknowledge Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Look at verse 11. Not only His name, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The saved and the lost will give Jesus Christ of Nazareth the glory. Those in hell will have to acknowledge who Jesus is. But they will remain in hell. The Father has set this up. We must go through the cross. We've heard this verse so many times. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father but through me. I must go through the cross. You must go through the cross. My wife must go through the cross. Your wife or your husband must go through the cross. Salvation is an individual responsibility. My kids, we trained them, we taught them. But when they come to the age of accountability, they will have to stand before their God personally. Is your name written in the book of life? I'll tell you, I, I, I have a field day with that. Well, you know, my name's written in, I mean, you, people will come up with so many facets. But is your name written in the book of life. There are churches that people actually have donated a, a pew. And then behind the pew, they'll put a, a placard donated by Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so. That will not get you into heaven. Praise the Lord, you bought a pew. But did you come to saving grace? That's the key. Look at verse 24 now. Let's go back to our text. And he's going to verify this. Who is this mediator? We've taught this before in the book of Hebrews. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Interesting that he, he uses the example of Abel here now. But I want you to see this. If you can uh, lay a picture in your mind. Jesus, and then draw a cross, and then God the Father. You must go through Christ. You must go through his cross, and you must that's the only way you're going to get to the Father. 
That's the only way you're going to get a relationship. And trust me, through the years, you don't know how many people want to go around the cross, under the cross, over the cross. But they have a problem of going through the cross. I've been at deathbed situations. Pastor Jeff with hospice has been at deathbed situations. And to the last moment, they will not acknowledge Christ. And in some cases already, they can sense the demons have come for them. In Luke chapter 16, you have the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And the Bible says one was buried and one was carried. Lazarus, the poor man, was carried and given to Abraham in paradise. It says that the rich man was buried. Interesting. Notice again the mediator who is Christ. Only the precious blood of Jesus Christ cries out for mercy and grace and for the past 2,000 years. He, Jesus Christ, is our mediator. Listen to the word mediator. He is the bridge builder between God and man. He is the bridge builder, listen, between the old covenant and the new covenant. His blood, Jesus Christ's blood is more superior, better than any other blood. Only the the Old Testament, the animal sacrifice, was temporal. We know that. Imagine you would come in week after week. Dads, you would bring in, you know, a turtle dove for your family because that's what you could afford. You would bring in a lamb or a sheep or a goat if you could afford that. Now, if you had a big family and you had the means, you brought in a bull and you sacrificed it. The Bible says it was a temporal thing. It was just a kofar, a covering. You would have to repeat that the following week. Imagine that we have come to this mediator. Job was looking for a mediator. Back in the Old Testament, Job is considered the oldest book. We know we have the chronological order. We started Genesis, but Job is considered the oldest. He was looking for a days man. The days man is a mediator, a go-between. And so we know today that our mediator is Jesus Christ. Now, the example of Abel, Abel's blood. Listen, Cain killed his brother Abel. His blood cried out for the vengeance. Jesus' precious blood cried out love, mercy, grace, salvation for all mankind. The Bible says that we are washed in the blood of the lamb. If one drop of the lamb's blood hits us, falls upon us because we've asked, we're cleansed, we're washed in the blood of the lamb. You go back to Genesis chapter 3 and and we see that man fell from grace, Adam and Eve. And then quickly they found themselves naked and they hid And then they took fig leaves to cover themselves. And God knew, so he went to the garden, and he says, Adam, where are you? We're hiding. Why are you hiding? Because we're naked. Who told you you were naked? The woman you gave me caused me to sin. Mankind's been doing that ever since. The woman you gave me. But I want you to think of this. God takes away the fig leaves, and God makes the first animal sacrifice. And he places skins upon Adam and Eve. The Bible said without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And from the time of Genesis until the time of Malachi, all the Old Testament, the blood of animals was temporal. I want you to see the picture now. John the Baptist is in the Jordan. He's baptizing for the remission of sin. And the disciples are coming. They're coming in groups, and they want to be baptized. John sees Jesus coming to him. Who told John? The Holy Spirit places it in him, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. After that, no more animal sacrifices are needed. It's a beautiful picture. Again, Abel's blood called, cried out for vengeance. But Jesus' blood cries out forgiveness, love, mercy, grace, salvation. 
all those beautiful attributes that are part of our life now. It's available to all mankind for the last 2,000 years, but many have rejected. Again, I will get to heaven my way. Now look at verse uh, 25 now. Verse 25, uh, we're basically done with Mount Sinai. We're, we're done with Mount Zion. We've spoken about the future Mount Zion, the, the new Jerusalem and such. And now we come to the heavenly voices. Now, before I read this, I want to set it up. Back in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, I'm going to paraphrase it. The writer of Hebrews begins and he says, In time past, Old Testament, God spoke through his prophets, but has in these last days, the last 2,000 years, spoken to mankind by his son, Jesus Christ, our Messiah, the creator of heaven and earth. Beautiful picture now. Look at verse 25 as we begin. He says, See uh, that you do not refuse him who speaks. Notice the capitalization of the word him. He says, For if they do not escape who refuse him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him again who speaks from heaven. This is stern warning to the Hebrew Christians. This is stern warning to the church for the last 2,000 years. Take heed to Jesus Christ. Do not reject the voice of Messiah who speaks through the gospel message. And that gospel message is loud and clear, church. If judgment came to those who rejected the voice of God at Mount Sinai, the law, how much greater judgment will come to those who reject God's messenger, his own son, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who came to give us the word of God. He said, I did not come to destroy the law. I came to complete the law, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Now, again, look at verse 26. Now, he continues this. He says, whose voice then shook the earth, but now, speaking of the Old Testament, then he shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, yet one more I shall not only, he says, uh, the earth to shake it, but all heaven will also be shaken. The time is coming. It's interesting. If you've been watching the little uh, trailers on TV, uh, there's a new movie that's coming out, I guess. Uh, it's called 2012. Oh, everybody's saying, is that the end of the world? And one of my relatives asked me, and I says, no, there has to be the rapture of the church. There has to be seven years of tribulation. And then Jesus will come back, set up the kingdom age, and then we'll be close. They just look at you, but they believe Hollywood, right? Interesting. How many more movies do they have to make concerning what the scriptures tell us? I tell you, if I was a movie person, a film director, a writer, man, open up your Bible, man. There's so much stuff to write. But you scare people to death. They like to be scared. Well, write it out. Do it. There have been movies, but they won't watch them because some of those movies were made by ministries. Notice now. In Mark chapter 9, verse 7, we're still in verse 26. We're back at the Mount of Transfiguration, okay? In verse... Mark chapter 9, verse 7. A cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear him. We need to listen to the voice of God, or else a shaking is coming. Again, we're getting back to the voice of God. He's given us the word of God. This is my beloved Son. Hear him. There was Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, but hear him. Hmm. Now, we just spoke about John the Baptist. I want you to turn to it real quick. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Jesus was about to be baptized by John the Baptist at the Jordan there. And we're speaking about the voice now again. In verse 16, when 
he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, all the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and a lightning upon him. So John witnessed the baptism of Christ. And John wanted to be baptized. It is I that needs to be baptized. And Jesus told him, you have to do this. Jesus in his humanity, he's all God, he's all man. He is called the God-man, the incarnation of Christ. He took on water baptism. Now, I like to clarify this because people will ask me, well, how do you baptize, Pastor Bob? Do you sprinkle? Or do you just, you know, dunk? Do you hold them down? I says, we hold them down. Because it says here, Jesus came up immediately. In order to come up immediately, he went down immediately, and then he came back up. And I always get this question. People, you know, they come up with a lot. My grandmother asked, how long did they keep you down? And you know me. I told her, Grandma, I had a lot of sins. They kept me down there a long time. <laughs> but people will ask, how long? Well, as long as it takes to say, I baptize you, George, or whatever your name is, in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And it's done. But people want to know all this. Jesus came immediately out. But notice now, verse 17, And suddenly a voice came from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And so in Mark 9, 7, hear he him. That's the voice from God the Father. And here, another voice. This is God the Father again. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And so God the Father, acknowledging who Jesus Christ is. Amen. We have the gospel message, church. We have this Bible intact now for us, the last 1900 years. I mean, who doesn't have the scriptures? Again, Hebrews chapter 1, the prophets were writing. And in some cases, they had no idea. But by the Holy Spirit, they were writing. But we have everything that we need. There is no excuse according to Romans chapter 1. Look at verse 27 now. Know this, he says, or now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Now, he says a lot here, but let me simplify it. The things on earth will be shaken. They were looking at Mount Sinai, and there was a trembling, there was a shaking, there was a quaking. That was just a picture. The time is coming when earth will be shaken again on your own. Revelation chapter 6 through Revelation chapter 18, you will study 21 judgments, seven seal judgments, seven trumpet judgments, and seven bold judgments. I believe strongly, and I teach strongly, the church, the body of Christ, will not be here. By the time we get to Revelation chapter 6, uh, I see Revelation chapter 5. The church, the body of Christ, is in heaven. In heaven. Now, there will be those that are going to be called tribulation saints. They will be saved during the time of the tribulation. Now, the judgments are coming so that only eternal things will be left. But that which is uh, of God will remain. That which is of this world will burn up. Judgment. Now, be careful because movements have been established in time past. Give everything away. The early church did that. Let's have communal type living. There's been many since then. There, there's a great group called the uh, Millerites. Study them. I mean, they were convinced that the rapture was coming, so, you know, they got ready. God forbid that we would sell everything. Let's go to a mountain and wait there. Sooner or later, you guys are going to get angry. And then I'm going to tell you, Pastor Jeff told us to go up there. But it's not going to happen. Be careful when somebody gives you a date. Okay, 2012, is that the end of the world? I can tell you no, because nobody knows the time nor the hour. Look at verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace. And that's what we have been given. Unmerited favor. We deserve judgment, but he gives us grace. 
I like that. By which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Since we will receive a kingdom that cannot be destroyed, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and reverence. Remember that the Bible says we're called to holiness. And it's just a big word. The word is hagios. And bottom line, please never forget this. You're not holy, neither am I. You're not righteous, neither am I. It's only through the precious blood of Jesus Christ and accepting his death on the cross and his blood that washes me, I come into the born-again experience, and he bestows upon me holiness. And he bestows upon me righteousness. He bestows upon me salvation. Now, he says here concerning holiness, it's the word hagios, separated ones, we're separated from the world, now separated to God, consecrated to God. Reverence unto him on a daily basis. Let us have grace. He said that earlier. Again, that unmerited favor, not judgment. I don't fear judgment. Even if we go through the seven years of tribulation, I don't fear judgment because I have accepted Christ. And I know you have accepted Christ. And if you've not accepted him, you need to come to the born-again experience. Now, before we go to verse 29, turn with me to James. Now, just flip over because we're almost at the end of the book of Hebrews. And after Hebrews comes James. Go to James chapter 1. Look at verse 21. Now, James is interesting. We're going to have fun with the book of James. Most people don't like James chapter 3, that bridling of the tongue. But here in James chapter 1, verse 21 through 27, James writes something good. Now, James is the half-brother of Jesus Christ. James didn't come to saving grace until after Messiah had died and rose again. Think about that. I mean, how could he acknowledge, you know, who Jesus is? He was his brother. And now he comes to saving grace. So James writes, be doers of the word of God, not just hearers only. I hope and pray we come to church and not just to hear, but let's put it to work. Let's put it to application. Look at verse 21, James 1. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness, underline this, the implanted word of God. Put the word of God in your hearts. Oh, we carry our Bibles. We have Bibles. But have we placed the word of God, implanted it into our hearts? which is able to save your souls, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and does not, not a doer, he is like a, a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Now, it's obvious we'll look in a mirror and hopefully you're not going to walk away and say, who was that? Who was that? It was you. Now, we might take a double take and go back because we're not sure there's a cow lick. And so you go back, you want to make sure, and then you walk away. But listen to what James is saying here. In verse 25, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this, is one, this one will be blessed in what he does. And we'll share that when we get to James. Service unto the Lord, service unto others, comes automatically after you come to saving grace. If anyone amongst you thinks he is religious, mark this down, how many times he, he speaks of religion. If anyone among you think he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. And then he explained what religion is supposed to be. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. To visit the orphans. I like that. To visit the widows. To visit those in trouble. And to keep oneself unspotted, in other words, from the world, from sin. 
But so many times people like to, um, you know, she's religious, he's religious. I hope and pray you have a born-again experience. I hope and pray you have a relationship. The word religion in the Greek here, it's called ceremonial observance of worship of God. And yes, that's true. But what about a relationship? Are you born again of the Holy Spirit? Has 2 Corinthians 5.17 come into your life? If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. All things become new. Now we go full circle now. He began with a fire there at Mount Sinai. Look at verse 29 now. And he comes back to the fire. For our God, our God is a consuming fire. Radical statement. I want you to study this when you get home. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. I believe that the next judgment that's coming will be by fire. I believe the next judgment that's coming, we're so crazy in this world. We've got some nuts out there that have the capability of pressing buttons. It's going to happen, church. The next judgment is going to be by fire. Nuclear warfare, I believe. For our God is a consuming fire. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 24, this is where it's being taken from. In the Old Testament, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire. And then he adds, he is a jealous God. He is a jealous God. He wants you for himself. God does not like to share you with anybody or with any sin nature. Now, just write these down. In Revelation 20, verse 10, the devil, the beast that speaks of in Revelation 13, the false prophet, are all going to be cast into the lake of fire. Now, mark this down. Revelation chapter 20, verse 14 and 15. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death radical hell was the first death the lake of fire is the second death some people think well you know god's going to give me a break after that no you put yourself in there again god does not put anybody in hell man places themselves in hell when they reject jesus christ and that's what we shared here. Now, verse 15. Anyone not found written, he comes back to what we shared earlier, not written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. That's our choice. And I, I, what I want most of all, I've come to saving grace. I've accepted Christ. I hope and pray. I want, when those books are open, my name is written in the book of life. I want your name to be written in the book of life. And as we come to the conclusion this morning, that's the challenge for you. I don't know if all of you are saved. If you're not sure, in Romans 10, 13, those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a simple accepting of Christ, acknowledging you are a sinner and say, Lord, I need forgiveness. It took me three years. Because I thought all my works that I had done was sufficient. And the Holy Spirit was prompting my heart. And I had to come to grips one day. And I was in a service just as you are here this morning. The invitation was given. And the Holy Spirit would not leave me alone. My hand went up. And at that church, we were at our old church. It was huge. And so they couldn't go with just the hands raised. They had to walk down the aisle. And that gets pretty difficult. And I can honestly tell you, I don't remember walking down the aisle. The Holy Spirit will do the whole thing. And little did I know, my wife was behind me. And I thank the Lord that we both came to saving grace on the same day. Let's stand well in with a word of prayer. I'm going to ask you, maybe there's somebody here. I pray we're all saved, but you never know. Father, as we come to this conclusion this morning, and the book of Hebrews has been so powerful, Lord. We see this mediator again and again and again. It is Jesus Christ. And Lord, the emphasis this morning is my name, personalize it, is my name written in the book of life. And if you're not sure, I want to give you that opportunity. With every head bowed, every eye closed, we're not here to judge anybody. 
We're all sinners needing salvation. And the Bible says we're saved by grace. And so I want to give you that opportunity. This morning, maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're not saved. You might call yourself a Christian, but have you made that commitment to Christ? Have you said the sinner's prayer, simple sinner's prayer? If that's you, you'd like to come to Saving Grace, I'll say the prayer with you. Would you acknowledge and say, yes, Pastor Bob, it's me. Would you raise your hand and I'll say a simple prayer of faith. Anybody here this morning before we conclude? There was a young man this morning and he surprised me because I was ready to end the service. And he snuck his hand up at the, very, at the very end. Anybody before we close? Praise God, then we're all Christians. I thank the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your saving grace, Lord. Thank you for your goodness, your grace, your love, and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that our names are written in the book of life. And Lord, so bless your beautiful people here this morning. Bless them and anoint them with a special blessing that only you can bestow upon them. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. We worship you. Lord, we pray for the offerings this morning. As you've given to us, we give back a portion. We're so thankful for what you've given us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, all the turkeys that have been coming in and all the, the dressings and the pies and the vegetables and, Lord, just so much. We're going to be able to put baskets together for some needy families, Lord, here in our own community. And, Father, thank you for the blessings. Bless the offerings this morning. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. And we all agree by saying amen.